0: So join me, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, as we'll continue to pursue wisdom together. This section of Proverbs asks us the question of value. What is it that we value the most, and how do we define those things that are of great value to us? One of the funnest experiences I remember having as a parent is two different times with two different little girls. We have gone through the process of what it takes for a little girl to have all of her dreams come true with the purchase of an American girl doll. Those things are expensive, y'all. I mean, you talk about, like, there's lots of dolls out there on the market, but my little girls, they get magazines in the mail, and they want the creme de la creme. They want the American girl doll and they and there's something about the american girl doll that's not just a doll it's an experience because the store is like you go in and they do the doll's hair and they pierce the ears and they have all these outfits and it's overwhelming and just so joyful for a little girl so here's how we approached it as parents we wanted them to know these things are expensive And we wanted them to know that if you want it, then you've got to work for it. So our approach was, you're going to buy your own. Maybe that makes us mean parents. But I think it was actually a really fun experience. Because we said, we'll work with you. We'll help you. But this is a lesson in money management that we're going to walk through together. So a few years ago, it was Eden. And we walked through that with her. We found some odd jobs for her to do for for us, for grandparents, for, for other people. We found some ways, and you know, and, you know kids, they, they tend to get money for birthdays and Christmas and things like that. So we're like, okay, you're not gonna just spend it on candy, you're not gonna just spend it at the dollar store on, you know, you have $2, so that means you're gonna spend $2 today. Like, we're gonna talk about saving, we're gonna learn how to do this. And so, back when Eden was, uh, was getting her American Girl doll, we went down to Atlanta Went to the store, had the whole experience, and it was it was fun, and she was she felt like she had achieved something, and that doll was so much more valuable because she had worked for it and she had waited a long time for it. So for Eden or for Karis, little girl number two, we did the same thing. We said, okay, this is what we did with Eden. Let's do it again. So then this year we were able to over. winter break, we were able to go, and this time we went to Nashville, and go and get her her American girl doll. And let me just say, do they value them as much as I want them to value them? No. Do they take as good a care of of them as I want them to? No. But for little girls, they have learned that these things that are worth a lot of money, that they worked towards and they saved towards, they are so much more valuable because they worked for it. And so the question that we come to today is a question that that any of us could look at in any category of life. What are those things, material possessions, or people, or opportunities? What's most important? What's most valuable to you? This is the question that Proverbs 3 brings to us. It causes us To reassess our whole value system of what is valuable and what is not valuable. And here's how value works. There's such a thing as intrinsic value. That something is just valuable because it is valuable not just to you, but to other people. It has an inherent value to it. But then there are things that don't have significant intrinsic value, but have relative value. That they're specifically valuable to you and may not be valuable to another person. That so for an American girl doll, that's not something that you, every single one of us, would have wanted to save and spend our money on. If you have the money to spend it on an American girl doll, you'd probably pick something else because you have a totally different interest. But for my little girls, that was that that thing that had such relative value to them. So think about it: where are your values? Where do you put the most value in your life? Is it in your bank account? Is it in your relationships? Is it in material possessions? Is it, is it in, some sort, in your reputation, in your standing within a community? Is it in your, your workplace, your career? All of those things are valuable at one level or another. But each of us define our values a little bit differently. So... As we open Proverbs chapter 3, that's the question. What is most valuable to me, and how do I live in light of that? So Proverbs 3, starting in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So Proverbs 3, we'll go 13 through 35 today, and here's the progress that we'll see. We'll see the value of wisdom. We'll see the place of wisdom, the protection that wisdom brings and then the culture that wisdom builds. But all of this is built on this foundation of our value system, of what it is we value most. So let's look at Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, verse, uh, or Proverbs 3, verse 13, starts with this very clear statement. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. There's a benefit to wisdom. There's a benefit to pursuing wisdom. Now. let's, Let's back up and remind ourselves of how we are to understand wisdom. Wisdom is boldness in a life gone crazy because we understand not just information, but we understand the application of information in a way that glorifies God. Wisdom is the path that God desires people to walk. Wisdom is a path that honors God. And wisdom is life that is intentional and not passive. And so many of us We float our ways through life, or we float our our way through life with passivity, just reacting to the challenges as they come without actively taking on the challenges. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom is active and not passive. Challenges inevitably come, crises come, trauma comes, pain comes, and wisdom navigates that with boldness to seek out how do I live in this crisis in a way that honors God? So today, wisdom pokes into our items of value, pokes into our wealth, pokes into how we define wealth and value. So look at verse 14. The gain from her, and wisdom is described in the feminine here as a her, the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. Okay, so this is Solomon, the wise sage, speaking to his son, writing this sort of life handbook for his son, and encouraging his son to choose the lady wisdom over the lady folly. Both are described as feminine characters because a young man is choosing between two women, and as he's choosing between two women, he's choosing between two paths of life. Here's the, light, here's the path towards wisdom, and the woman that represents it, and here's the path towards uh, folly, violence, evil, whatever, and here's the woman that represents that. But what Solomon says here is that you go down this path towards wisdom, and this path is more valuable than the most precious metal, more valuable than the most precious stone, more valuable than any substance on this earth better than silver and gold in verse 13, better than jewels in verse 15, and beyond what you can imagine in verse 15. There's nothing that you can imagine that is more valuable than a life lived with wisdom. Why is that? Because wisdom is the path that honors God, and God is the king of all eternity. And whatever jewels, whatever precious metals, whatever wealth you acquire in this life, It passes. It it goes away. At least it goes away in your relationship to it. Sure, you can leave it with your kids. You can leave it with your grandkids. And it, it can proliferate for generations through your family. But what does that do for you as you enter into eternity? Nothing. Your physical wealth that you can build up in this life does not go with you into eternity. But wisdom is the path that puts you towards pursuing Christ, towards gaining towards gaining final, eternal reward in his presence at his throne. And so the point that Solomon is making here is that riches in this life are fleeting, but wisdom has an eternal benefit, has an eternal worth, an eternal value. So pursue it. Look at verse 16. Long life is in her hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. And let's hold on a second here. I just said that wisdom is more valuable than wealth but then now Solomon's sort of shifting to say if you pursue wisdom you get riches and honor. So let's talk about this again. How do we understand Proverbs? Proverbs are not promises and a simple if-then equation of if you do this then God must do this for you. If you do this then under every circumstance possible this will certainly happen for you. That's not how Proverbs works. Proverbs are probabilities. If you do this, then the more likely result is this. If you walk in wisdom, then you're more likely to gain riches and some level of notoriety and success in life. And we'll see why that is in a second. Because Solomon starts to unpack for us why wisdom is so profitable in this life. But let's be real and say... Wisdom is not always profitable. Okay, wisdom is generally profitable in a physical sense, but wisdom is not always does not always result in riches and honor. Sometimes wisdom, a life of righteousness that honors God, results in poverty, and results in in people slandering, and, and people saying uh, negative or, or harsh things about believers that follow Christ. Sometimes that's the result in this life. So the probability is that wisdom is better than folly, but the promise is only that there is still value, still value in wisdom. And why is that? Look at verse 17. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are paths of peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. I'm going to do something that could be surprising to you. It may even make you uncomfortable because of the feminine pronouns. I'm going to tell you that throughout the book of Proverbs, the way Christians read the book of Proverbs, the way new covenant believers read the book of Proverbs, is that we see that Christ is wisdom. Christ who was prophesied to be the wonderful counselor, to counsel and direct his people and impart wisdom on his people. Now we, as the people of Jesus, look back on this old covenant book of wisdom that's telling us pursue wisdom, pursue wisdom, pursue wisdom, and we see that as as Solomon is telling us about wisdom as a concept, there is actually a person who is wisdom, who has come for each of us to guide us as the wonderful counselor through the inevitable challenges of life and walk with us through life. So Jesus is wisdom. Now it makes it, it, makes it uncomfortable and confusing maybe when you see wisdom described in the feminine because you have lady wisdom and now all of a sudden I'm telling you that any time, and this is what I'm telling you, any time in this passage that wisdom is referred to, you have the freedom to put Jesus in that slot. Let's try it. Let's, let's just see what happens here. Let's look at verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Does that check out? If it's blessed is the one who finds Jesus. And the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, let's say Jesus. For the gain from Jesus is better than grain and so than gain from silver and the profit of Jesus is better than gold. Jesus is more precious than jewels. Nothing that you desire can compare with Jesus, the son of God. Long life is in the hand of is in the right hand of Jesus and in Jesus's left hand are riches and honor forevermore. That makes that verse eternal reward. Eternal life is in the right hand of Jesus. In Jesus' left hand are eternal riches and eternal honor. Verse 17. The ways of Jesus are ways of pleasantness. And the paths are peace. Look at verse 18. And let's think about the book of John. Jesus is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. And those who hold Jesus fast are called blessed. Um, John says of Jesus, Jesus quoting to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. And see, here's what Jesus does. Jesus has read Proverbs. Jesus understands what what Psalm says and what Proverbs say. So, So Psalm 1, okay? Psalm 1 said, blessed is the man. And and the man of faithfulness and righteousness in Psalm 1 is like a healthy tree that grows deep roots and blooms. Jesus is that man who is blessed, who is a tree of life for others. In Proverbs 3, wisdom as a tree of life, that's Jesus, the vine and branches imagery that John portrays Jesus saying right as he's going towards the cross in one of his last uh, conversations with the disciple, as he talks about remain in me, I remain in you. Stay connected into the vine because there is no life outside of the vine. So he is taking that image of wisdom that was used in Proverbs, and he's claiming it of himself to say, Solomon told you that there's life in the tree of wisdom. I'm going to tell you there's life in me. And I'm going to tell you that I am the tree of wisdom. I am the source of life. So Jesus is the wisdom of this passage. Don't let it be too confusing that because of Solomon uh, asking his young man, his son, to pursue either one woman or another. Don't be confused by the feminine pronouns. We can recognize that there is a lady wisdom in Proverbs 3, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the ultimate wisdom that we are looking for. And so now, all of a sudden, we see that Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. And wisdom leads to that deeper life. A life with more meaning. A life with more intentionality. A life with more joy. A life with more hope. A life with more life. Jesus says, I've come to bring life and bring it abundantly. Look at, as we talk about value, look at, look at verse 17. The ways of wisdom are pleasantness. The paths of wisdom are peace. Is that true of physical, valuable wealth in this life? I don't really think so. The more money you have, do you really have more pleasantness? Or do you just have more anxiety? The more physical wealth you have, does that create paths of peace? Maybe it brings great physical benefits, but those that start to accumulate wealth in this life find it difficult at times to really achieve paths of peace and pleasantness and rest. Why? Because the more money you have, the more you have to worry about things like interest rates and return on investment and track how the economy's doing and you're you're constantly thinking about this wealth that you have built up, and is it safe? Have I done enough? Have I stored up enough? Am I being wise in my investments? Am I being irresponsible in my investments? Physical wealth doesn't necessarily lead to pleasantness and peace. Physical wealth leads to a lot of worrying about protecting that physical wealth. A lot of worrying about what am I going to do if my lifestyle has to change because I lose a portion of that physical wealth. That's what makes the life of Jesus so much more valuable because Jesus is the greatest value, the source of life, and Jesus brings eternal riches and constant connection to the source of life. Jesus is the tree of life through which we can grow and and grow in wisdom, knowledge, and just life. You want a pleasant life? Don't pursue physical wealth. Pursue Jesus. You want peace in life? Don't pursue physical wealth. Pursue Jesus. We know we need to be responsible with our physical wealth. We know we need to use it wisely. We need to steward. What I told you um, today was that we have a great, we, it is valuable to us as parents that we teach our children how to manage money and how to see money as a tool and not an idol how to see money as as a possession that can be used in both positive ways and negative ways and they need to know how to manage it wisely and another quick story I walked in this morning and um, Eden pulls out her purse Eden's 10 she pulls out her purse pulls an envelope out of her purse and she goes and she just starts putting money in the offering box nobody I mean she didn't talk to anybody I didn't know what she was doing I was like hey well what did you put in there? And she's like, well, you know, I made some money, and she's been doing some jobs for people. She made some money, and she said, so I gave a portion of it back to Jesus, which is what, you know, listen, I take no credit for that. Don't say all to me. Um, That's all Jess. that, that That is what Jess does in investing in our children to train them how to steward money and use money wisely, but think about that. Think about how simple it is in that situation for for Eden to learn, you know what, physical wealth is just this thing that happens, and it's a means to an end, and when I get money, I keep 90 of it, and I give 10 percent to the church so that Jesus can use it how he uses it, and, and then I get to, to spend the 90, and it's really, really simple. But more money, more complications, right? And, and that's where it, it sounds alluring. It sounds alluring to have, have that access to greater wealth, to buy your own stuff, but the pleasantness and peace never really comes. It always just takes a little bit more to bring satisfaction. And that little bit more never brings you to a real place of pleasantness and peace. It's only found in the value of wisdom, the person of Jesus. But let's look into, now part two of this, in, in um, the next section, verse 19 and following, we'll see the place of wisdom. So here's the, here's the question. Why is it that Solomon can so confidently say, even when it doesn't happen every time, wisdom is better than folly? Why is it that he is so confident that there is a way to life that is better than another way? It is because of the place of wisdom built into the very fabric of creation. That's what he says. Verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. How did God create the world? Through wisdom. Why does wisdom work? Because it's woven into the fabric of the created order. That's why wisdom works, because God created the world in such a way that there's a path that continually leads to destruction, whether it it is clear in every moment or not. Sometimes it looks like the wicked are prospering. A lot of times it looks like the wicked are prospering. A lot of times it looks like there's some really bad people out there that are really successful in a physical, temporal sense. Sometimes it looks like the righteous ones, the truth-tellers, the the God-listeners, the Jesus-followers, sometimes it looks like those are the ones that are suffering most. But God, in the way He has knit together creation, He has built creation in such a way that in the end, those that pursue wisdom will prosper. That in the end, those that walk with responsibility will prosper. Those that walk in obedience will prosper. Those that honor others will prosper. In a a temporal sense, yes, wisdom will lead to gain in this life. People respect you when when you respect them. People trust you when you're honest. People value you when you value them. Those are just ways that wisdom makes sense in this life. Hard work. Wisdom is all about hard work. Wisdom is all about, about discernment and education. There is a path towards wisdom that is good and valuable even in a sinful world. Even in a sinful world. Principles of living life wisely can be effective. But when we see Jesus as our wisdom, we recognize that we have an even better story, an even better hope, than benefiting from just the physical benefits of wisdom in this life. That we're actually moving towards a life that is truly life, lived in light of eternity, with peace and pleasantness forevermore. With life that is life eternal. And so Solomon says to his son in verse 21, do not lose sight of this. Do not lose sight that the world was created in such a way that wisdom matters because it's through wisdom that the world created. And therefore, if you keep on to wisdom and discretion, if you pursue wisdom and discretion, here's here's what he wants to see. He wants to see in his son wisdom and discretion become an outward adornment. What does that mean? When somebody is dressed in a, let's say, exceptional way, exceptional is a nice word, let's say a weird and extravagant way, okay? Let's say there is somebody that is just wearing something loud, something noticeable. You notice it not just when you're right in front of them, but you notice it from a long way off. If I I came in wearing a bright pink suit on Easter Sunday because it was Easter and I'm all decked out, y'all would like notice from a long way away, right? You wouldn't have to be next to me to be like, hmm, Tim's wearing a pink suit today. No, you'd notice it'd be like, like super bright and blinding from a long way away. You notice an outward adornment. Here's that picture that Solomon's giving us. He wants his son to be so known for living a life of wisdom and discretion that it becomes like an outward adornment. That it can be seen from far off. That it can be seen, you don't have to be right next to that person to see that person is living a life of wisdom. He wants his reputation to be established by wisdom. That's what verse 22 means. That wisdom and discretion will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Life and life eternal and an outward adornment that everybody sees and notices. The New Testament tells us to put on Christ. To clothe ourselves in Christ and to clothe ourselves in the love that He brings. So we clothe ourselves with wisdom. We clothe ourselves with Jesus. We want people who are even far from us, who do not know us well, who only know us a little bit, who only maybe know us by by reputation, to see the love of Christ in us. That's the goal. But then wisdom also creates for us a protection. Uh, verse twenty three. Then you will walk on your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and keep your foot from being caught. A number of years ago, um, probably eight, nine years ago now, I can't even remember, um, I had the privilege of going with a group of people to... Israel. We went to Israel. We went to Jordan. We saw the sites of the life of Christ. We saw Petra, this ancient uh, city built into the mountains in, in Jordan. We saw amazing things. We saw the Sea of Galilee. We saw the Jordan River. We saw Jerusalem. And one of the other things that we saw was a nation that had been torn apart in a number of different stages by the wars that had happened in the nation over the land. So we're driving in a bus one day, because everyone in our group was on a bus together. We had we had uh, three different churches in Dalton that were represented on this bus, and we were driving by, and it said danger mines. And for miles and miles and miles, we we were track we were seeing these random signs danger mines, and then we like stopped, and we were like, I mean you can't go to a minefield without like, getting a picture, right? Now We're not gonna walk into the minefield, but it was kinda cool to be like, man, this is like, it was sobering, okay? Because it was, it was like when you're, when you're uh, climbing, rock climbing, mountain, there's something about the adrenaline rush of being on the edge and feeling like, there's great risk in the height that I'm at at this point. Stepping up to the edge of a minefield was like, man, this is cool. It is sobering. Think of the power buried in the ground here. Think of what, what may have happened here. But also it's it's really scary. It's really disheartening to see the great violence of a place like that. We didn't walk through the minefield, guys. But we took pictures of the minefield. We sat on the edge and we looked at the fence and we got pictures with the sign that said Danger Minefield. And what what Solomon is t- telling us about wisdom is you can walk through that minefield in confidence with wisdom. Your walk on your way, you will walk on your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. If you're, if you're on the edge of a cliff, if you're walking through a minefield, your foot will not stumble. You can lie down and not be afraid. You can lie down and your sleep will be sweet. See, here's the thing about wisdom. It's It's valuable. It's more valuable than any earthly possession, any earthly wealth. It, it, it's also woven into the fabric of creation. That's the place of wisdom. Part two of our study today. Part three of our study today is wisdom is also a source of great protection. It's just better to live a life of wisdom. When the wicked, when the wicked are prospering around you, and when it looks like they've won the day, we don't play their games. We don't stoop to their levels. We don't become angry and mischievous and, and um, dishonest in our dealings. We let the wicked prosper in this life. And we tell the truth. We expose it when we can. We expose it. We stand for justice, for sure. But sometimes we watch the wicked prosper and we recognize there's nothing we can do about it. And they're in God's hands. And let that sinful person prosper because I know... That the safest path for me in this life is the path of protection, of wisdom, and following Jesus. But then, verse 27, we go on. Verse 27 brings us to this point of wisdom builds a certain culture, and it's not the culture of the world. Verse 27, there's a lot of do nots in a row here, five in five verses. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is proper, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason. When he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses The dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. I want to paint two pictures for you. I want to build a contrast here between the culture of death and the culture of life, the culture of wickedness and the culture of wisdom because these this series of successive do nots here in this passage show us what it means what life looks like on these two paths the culture of this path wickedness does these things the culture of this life life wisdom jesus does not do these things the culture of death withholds good from others why because you might receive a profit from it the culture of death, the culture of the world, the culture of sin, call it whatever you want to call it, you don't good, do good to somebody if it costs you someone, if something, unless you really have to. The culture of the world looks out for me and mine first. And occasionally I'll help others, but not if it hurts me. Solomon says, do not withhold good from, the, from those to whom it is due. The culture of death says, I'll pay it when I have it. Verse 28, don't say to your neighbor, go and again, and come again tomorrow. I'll repay you back tomorrow. I know I owe you something today. I'll pay it back tomorrow. That's what the culture of death does. It's puts off the payments. It puts off paying your debts until it's due. Uh, verse 29, the culture of death plans evil against others. Why? Again, for personal gain. That's the culture of the world. Sometimes, in order for you to gain, it means others have to suffer. And in the culture of sin, the culture of the world, that's, that's an okay thing. Because as long as you are gaining. The culture of the world contends, verse 30, contend with a man for no reason when he's done no harm to you. The culture of the world sees everything as a competition. There's a winner or a loser. I need to be the winner. I need to be the, the one that's gaining more. Gaining more wealth, power, prestige, whatever it is. So I am going to work. Not for the good of all, but for the good of myself so I can beat that other guy over there. The culture of the world in verse 31 envies the violent who prosper. Because you see a violent person prospering, you see a wicked person prospering, and you think, maybe that would work for me. Maybe this path, maybe this path isn't all it's cut out to be. Maybe this path isn't what, what I thought it was. Because this path of righteousness, wisdom, it's getting hard. But this guy over here, he sure is prospering with his violence, with his wickedness, with his deception. Maybe I need to choose that path instead. The culture of life is different. The culture of life does good to others even when there is no personal gain. Why? Because Jesus called us to love him by loving others, by loving our neighbors as ourselves, by doing good even to those that persecute us, by praying even for our enemies. The culture of life is just. It doesn't withhold payment or withhold justice because it's better for you and your circumstances if you just wait a little bit longer until you pay back that debt. The culture of life is just in all circumstances. The culture of life plans good for others. That's the problem in verse 29, is planning evil. Solomon says, don't plan evil. The culture of life instead plans good. The culture of wisdom plans good, plans, plans how we can bless others and love others as Jesus loves us. The culture of life loves as Jesus loves, serves as Jesus serves, does good as Jesus does, does good, doesn't repay evil for evil, but actually repays evil with love and service and kindness. It's the culture of life. And the results of this, within the challenges that we face in this world, that means the culture of life loves life, values life. The, the most vulnerable lives, what, what we could talk about the unborn. The culture of life loves the unborn, those that are most vulnerable. The culture of life loves the most elderly. They may feel that they lack purpose in a certain stage in life. The culture of life loves and serves and honors those who are our elders. The culture of life loves those with special needs because we know that despite physical limitations, they have inherent value and worth in the kingdom of heaven because they're created in the image of God, despite whatever limitations they have. The culture of life loves the foreigner, loves the immigrant, loves the person who acts differently, looks differently, believes differently, recognizing that person, too, is created in the image of God and has only one path towards salvation. And we, as we see foreigners come into our community, have a unique opportunity to present the message of the gospel and also just present the love of Christ to serve so the culture of life loves the immigrant, the foreigner, the refugee, The culture of life loves the poor that have needs, real physical needs, and the culture of life loves the rich that are kind of annoying sometimes. The culture of life loves everyone in every circumstance with the love that can only come from Christ. But it also stands for justice and stands for the truth. The culture of life and wisdom is a life that honors God's word and therefore we live a life of pursuing the truth of who God is. We tell people the truth, we love them, and we honor Christ and His righteousness even when the world doesn't like it. But we do it, pursuing a life that loves others, that serves others. So here's this passage that gives you this, this opportunity to reassess the, your definition of values in your life. It tells you what the value is of wisdom, The place of wisdom in the creative order, the the protection that wisdom brings, and also the culture that wisdom establishes within a church, within a a Christian community, within a society. So as the band comes up to lead us in the last song, I'm going to call you to action in three simple steps. Three simple steps that help us to know how we act on what we have heard today. Number one, we assess our own definitions of value. What is most valuable to you? Let, Let me give you a hint. It's what you work hardest to achieve and protect. That's where your values are. So what is it that is capturing your attention, your imagination in such a way? And now through the gospel, through the word of God, time to reassess those values. Everyone needs a value system checkup occasionally to say, is is Christ and him crucified really the center of my values, the center of my life? Am I living a life focused on repentance and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus who died on the cross for me and rose again to new life? Is that the center or something else found its way into this? And then when trials come, when we reassess our our values and we see Jesus at the center and we see the things that Jesus honors as coming out of the center, the family, the Christ's bride, serving the community, loving others, hard work, all of those are important things that, that come out of the beauty of following Jesus. And when we see those things in clarity, then we can rest. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to not have to work so hard? not have to worry so much, not have to be constantly in a state of anxiety about what could happen to your earthly riches or to, to those relationships, those people that you love so much, but just rest that God in his wisdom is protecting you for your eternal good. And sometimes your eternal good doesn't look like protection against every physical ailment or physical um, trauma, but he is protecting you through his wisdom, through Jesus, for your eternal good good, and you can rest in that. And last, it's time to reset some things. If you've reassessed your values, if you've rested in wisdom's protection, then it's time to reset the habits of your life, the culture of your life, social group, and family. Reset elements of that culture in a pursuit of wisdom, which is a pursuit of Jesus. So let's sing. Let's worship a risen Savior.
1: Will you call me out of dark?
0: assess this week, try to pattern our lives around God's wisdom, the culture that that builds within us, within his body. The simple question is, who might we intentionally serve, intentionally do good to this week in Christ's name and for God's glory? Receive the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you. you